My name is Katie Greenwood and I get to work with the curriculum and editorial team at Randall House and D6 Family Ministries. So I'm excited about that. This is something I've got to be part of that team for about 20 years. Um, and it's still something I actually enjoy. So that's not, I know a lot of people can't say that about their job, but I definitely can. Um, and we are excited to talk about our new curriculum that we just that we just created, but that's not what this whole seminar is about. So don't think, oh great, I've walked into an infomercial. You haven't. Um, but we are going to talk about foundations and one of the reasons we chose foundations as the name of our curriculum and highlight some of the things that are in it based on the importance of building a strong discipleship program. Uh, whether you're doing it in your church, whether you're doing it in your home, whether you're doing it in a ministry that you're part of. Um, so that's basically where we're going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about some construction things. I know there's a few of you in here who do that, um, whether it's during master's men uh, emergencies or whether you do that for your living. I don't know. But um, I actually did some research on actual house foundations and some things about it. And so we're going to kind of make some, some parallels. But before we do that, let's pray and, and get things started that way. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the bond that we can have because of it. I'm thankful for... Um, you're teaching us through your word and the ways that you can help us be better uh, servants for you, the way that you help us be better disciples of yours, and the way that you help us make better disciples for you. We just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, say and do things today that would bring you glory, that would point others to you, and that ultimately would um, show our love and honor for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 2010, you may have heard about a flood that happened in Nashville, Tennessee. Our home was flooded, um, and we were out of it for about six months. We were built up more than 12 feet above the floodplain, and yet we still had mm, yeah, a little bit over a, a yardstick um, on our main floor, and then our whole bottom storage and parking was, was covered. And I learned some things and began to become curious about things um, after that because I saw some areas on our street that were affected differently from other areas. And why did our foundation stay firm? Why did so-and-so's foundation not? And things like that. And so we, we were curious as a family and started looking into things because even though we had to redo so much around our house, and all the floodwaters that were around it, we had no issues whatsoever after having it inspected afterwards. Our foundation was sure and we could build right back on it uh, when we did our repairs and things. And that was really encouraging to me and it, it, it made a difference uh, for us because there were certain things that our builder did that a few of our neighbors didn't do. And they had to totally start from scratch and redo everything. Um, so they didn't have that um, strong foundation and had to had to start over again um, and so when we were talking about the the new curriculum for Randall House and talking about the fact that we wanted this to be discipleship heavy and we wanted to to make sure that we were not just providing a curriculum not just providing um, good material for a church to use that they could be proud of not just making sure it was solid in our doctrine that kind of thing we started looking at our culture and started looking at what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our churches, not just our Free Will Baptist churches, but our churches in the Grand Kingdom um, and, and in God's greater church of, uh, across the world. And we realized that there are some things that 
we're going to have to focus on that maybe we didn't have to as much in the past because our culture was different in the past. Uh, we didn't have some of the same things creeping in, if you will, um, to our church life or into even our families. Even, you know, years ago, your average family was still a good, upright, moral, teaching their kids the same kinds of values. Um, they maybe just didn't go to church, but we can't say that anymore. And really, we can't even say that about some families that go to church because just going to church is not enough. And that's, we're so passionate about making sure that we're helping churches build and grow disciples, not just good, pretty church members, not just people that come every week and carry their Bible and show up to help on work days and things like that. It's, it's so much more than that. So when I was thinking about the name foundations for our curriculum, I did start digging. What makes a good, strong foundation? What is valuable? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the main purpose of a foundation, and this is from this old house, <laughs> Bob via his, his uh, works. Um, and I found it intriguing. He said, a proper foundation does more than just hold a house above ground. Building foundations also keep out moisture, insulate against the cold, and resist movement of the earth around it. Without a good one, you're sunk. And so if you think about the foundation of our discipleship programs that we work with in our churches or homes, it's more than just saying we have a discipleship program. Are we keeping out the moisture, the bad stuff that we don't want in? Are we being intentional to protect uh, in ways that we need to protect? Are we making sure that we're resisting movement of the solid ground around us, that kind of thing? Building a good foundation requires a lot more than digging a hole and pouring some concrete into forms. It's been tailored to, to the site that it's at. It's, you've taken account the water table, you've taken account the soil conditions, and even the quality of the backfill. All of those things have to be looked at. A foundation poured at my house in Nashville, Tennessee is not going to be identical to a foundation poured at Allen's house in Florida. Yeah. And so you have to look at what you're dealing with. Now the foundation itself is still going to be strong. It's still going to have some of the same qualities. But how you do it, the way that you apply it, might look differently. How many of you, do you know how heavy an average house is? How many tons would you say the average house weighs? Any guesses? I have no guesses until I looked I'm it up. I'm guessing seven. Seven? Okay. Four to seven. Okay. The average house, according to Bob Villa, this old house, and he's got to be the expert, right? Um, <laughs> the average house is 50 tons. The average foundation weight is seven and a half tons. Now think about that for a minute. A 50-ton house, if done right, is secure and safe and strong on a seven and a half ton foundation. Now that doesn't make sense in math when we think about putting 50 tons on top of seven tons and it being strong and steady. Um, but when the foundation is sure, when the foundation is strong enough, that's the way it works. And so it's important to look at not just do we have a discipleship program, not just do we care about making disciples in our church, but how are we doing it? And are we going about it in a way that's going to allow 50 tons to rest safely on seven tons, so to speak? So I looked at um, some of the things that make a foundation fail. And so we're going to talk about that and compare it to the way churches deal with foundations when it comes to discipleship. 
One of the first things that can make a foundation fail is using non-porous backfill. Now you probably already know what that is, but I had to look it up. I had to make sure I understood what this was. Um, soils loaded with clay or organic matter hold water like a sponge and that increases the risk of cracks and um, things like that. And so when the soil freezes, when there's issues, it creates a big problem for your foundation. Think about the way that we choose our discipleship materials in our church. Sometimes it's those bells and whistles, those easy things to grasp, like that non-porous backfill that looks like, oh, that'll make it quicker and we can get this job done quicker. You know, those bells and whistles of certain curriculums or certain programs might look good up front, but are they gonna help prepare the students to be able to stand whenever things start freezing around them, whenever the world causes them to have some questions, whenever their faith gets tested. We wanna make sure that with discipleship, we're helping kids as well as adults understand that we're gonna to have to bend some, the, the world's gonna, we're gonna bend, but we don't need to break. We're gonna be crushed, or uh, stretched, but we don't wanna be crushed. We're gonna be crushed, but we're not gonna be destroyed. All kinds of different things, we're gonna be tested but we don't have to fall all the way. And so we wanna make sure that the things that we choose are gonna help uh, fight against some of the things those flashy bells and whistles often promise but can't deliver. I don't know if you're familiar or not, but there are several leading curriculum companies right now that are teaching, they'll say they're teaching biblical things, but there's a whole lot of um, movement right now with teaching people that set your self-identity is so important. You do you, what makes you happy? What do you think that Bible verse means for you? So-and-so can think it means different for them, but what do you think? Does What makes you feel good when you read that Bible verse? And there's a whole lot of that happening right now in curriculums that are popular and probably used in churches you're familiar with, if not your own. Um, and it's so important for us to recognize the progressive Christianity and those nuances that are coming through even in curriculums that we just take for granted and assume it's coming from a company we've known all along, surely it's good, surely it's safe. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, in, a, in a day where we've got a lot of eroding morals in our culture, we've got um, shifting values, like I said earlier, things that used to be a given as just a general value that Americans would hold to, we can't count on that anymore. Um, so we've got to help people understand how do, we, how do we stand for truth? How do we know what's true? And coming back to the Word of God and making sure that that is what we're basing everything on. Those bells and whistles might make it easier for teachers. Those bells and whistles might make it look flashy and might make us think we're going to attract more visitors. But at the end of the day, the backfill or the core of what we're putting into this uh, has got to be the solid, true Word of God and the safety that we can find in knowing that it's pure and that it is never going to cause any uh, cracking or, or leave us wanting more. The next thing that often makes foundations fail is rushing the cure. Again, I didn't know that you had to let concrete cure. You probably, some of you knew that. Um, but they talked about how concrete must cure slowly to reach the proper strength, and that's usually 3,000 PSI. PSI is pounds per square inch, per square inch, is that right? Okay. So concrete has to cure, and they said that 
Often they will use plastic, they will mist with water and use other techniques over a period of three days to allow it to cure in the right amount of time so that it's not rushed and therefore it helps make it stronger. So think about discipleship. Discipleship is not a moment. As soon as you pour that concrete, it's not cured, it's not ready. As soon as a person makes the decision to become a believer, that's not the end of it. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not come follow me and all of a sudden you are a fisher of men. They had to spend time with him and learn about it and imitate him and grow with him in his presence. And so sometimes we forget, you know, we, someone makes a decision and we want to be able to mark that up on the board. So many decisions this week. Oh, Bible school, man, we love counting those numbers for Bible school. But discipleship doesn't end after the decision is made. So what are we doing to protect that cure, so to speak? Are we investing after the moment of that decision? Are we following up? Are we helping make sure there's programs and uh, situations in place that will help us with that cure, will help us make, help disciples grow and not just leave them hanging. That's probably one of the greatest things that happens in churches uh, where we, we get to that moment of decision and then we just leave them floundering afterwards and they walk away because they don't know what to do with that. They don't know how to fully dig in and what that looks like. Decisions are an important step but there's got to be ongoing processes and um, helps that help that, that keep them plugged in. The next thing is insufficient compacting. So apparently when you're pouring concrete over rock or over pebbles, over aggregate, different things I've read, it's got to be tamped down a certain way because if it isn't, it's going to cause cracking and that kind of thing. Well, think about that with our churches and with discipleship. Um, there's a reason for the processes. There's reasons for um, some of the things that we might think are unnecessary steps, like following a scope and sequence, or um, dealing with repetition with children. Oh, they already, the kids say they already know that. The teachers don't wanna teach the same thing again. So we choose the easy thing. We want to make everybody happy, and we don't look at the value of those processes. There's a reason for repetition with children. Even the world, I mean, I'm not going to put Sesame Street up there as an, as an authority in a lot of things, but as far as teaching children basic concepts, they're pretty good at it. And so that's why when you watch Sesame Street, it's sponsored by the letter A and the number four, and everything in that episode is going to deal with A and four. That's repetition for a reason, because kids need that repetition. Well, the scope and sequence, following a pattern or a plan, with your discipleship is important because it helps make sure that you get the full story of the Bible in an organized manner so that it's not left up to you to make sure you hit all of those things. So choosing some type of a process or a plan is so important. It's like tamping down. It's like making sure all the steps are in place and not trying to skip over one or another uh, just for the sake of ease. Um, sometimes when, you, um, when you're looking for those steps and you're looking for the foundation, um, the building tools that you're gonna use, we can be swayed by people's preferences. We can be swayed by, oh, well, so-and-so in her class, she doesn't like to do this, so they only do this one thing or another. Or he likes to write his own curriculum, or she likes to, to do something she's used all along. Um, 
And I would encourage you as you're building a foundation for discipleship in your churches and in your ministries, that you look for some type of a comprehensive overall process or plan that's gonna help everyone be on the same page. That's gonna help the senior adults dealing with some of the same issues that the teens are dealing with, some of the same issues that the elementary students are dealing with, because what that does is it promotes and allows for intergenerational discussions and learning from one another. Um, I think one of the worst things we can do in discipleship programs is to have the teens on one program, the adults on a different program, and that kind of thing, because then when you get around the dinner table together, or when you're fellowshipping in other ways or other places, you don't have that common, that easy common ground of knowing that what one another has just studied. Whereas when you choose a curriculum, no matter which one it is, that's got some type of comprehensive cohesion to it, it helps you have that ability to be able to uh, ready start some conversations or some teaching and some, some lessons. When the pastor knows what's being taught, he, he can, I started to say he or she, y'all would have kicked me out of this room. I'm used to saying he or she. Um, he, he, would, um, he would know some of the things to talk about, some of the things to, to highlight or to hit, to again bring in another layer um, of, of comprehensiveness when you're talking about discipleship and growing in the Lord. And one of the last things that it talked about with regard to um, foundations failing is interrupting the poor. Again, I was like, what does it matter? It's all going to grow hard. It doesn't matter if you, you know. But they said one of the worst things you can do is stop one day and finish the next because then you have what's called a cold joint. Uh, are you all impressed with what I've learned? Please uh, be impressed. Actually, yeah, I did construction, so I'm listening okay, to Okay, well, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a cold joint, and that, again, is an indicator that you could have issues later on. You could have a problem with cracking or with leaking. Um, and so sometimes with additions, you're, you can't help but have a cold pour or a cold joint, but when you've got the ability to do it all at once, and you think, okay, how, can, how does that apply to discipleship? The way that I'm looking at that is the fact that we can't interrupt from Sunday to Sunday. In other words, if we've got a discipleship program and we're depending on what happens at church to be our program, we've got a problem with that because we've got an interruption Monday, through Saturday. That's quite a cold joint. Yeah. So if we're only teaching on Sundays and only depending on that discipleship program, that is interrupting the poor for sure. And so obviously um, the best thing to do is to use a curriculum that's going to provide you with those tools to use every day of the week. That's going to kind of help keep that conversation going, help keep the discipleship going away from your church. And I know there have been a lot of people who say, but what people do at their home is not my business as a pastor. It's not my business. That, you know, they, they can do what they choose to do. Absolutely they can. But they're looking to our churches and our leadership for advice and for leadership in this. And so one of the best things you can do, whether you use D6 curriculum or not, is to say, hey, make sure your family's in the Word of God every day. Okay? You, can't, you can't leave it up to the church. You can't leave it up to the Sunday school teacher. We have a fraction that we love to highlight with D6, and it's 1 over 168. Do you have any idea what that means? 168 hours. There's 168 hours in a week. Me having your child in my class, one of those is not enough. Mom and Dad, you've got to keep that going throughout the week. 
And so that, that applies in, across the board. We can't say, okay, I, had, I, li- I even listened to two sermons. I listened to that podcast that had a sermon. I'm good. I have two hours worth of Bible this week. You know that's not right. It's not wise. It's not the best thing for us. So we've got to look for ways to integrate a poor, if you will, throughout the week. Um, and you can create that no matter what curriculum you use. Your, t- your staff can come up with tools and things to encourage your families. But we've done it for you. We've done that for you to kind of help take the burden off of you. Because it's our goal to help resource churches so that they can then resource the home. And we can all work together to have a more comprehensive discipleship plan. So I want to encourage you to think about the foundation of your discipleship program at your church. What's lacking? What's missing? What might be considered interrupting the poor for you? What might be considered not tamping things down the way that it needs to? Um, In what ways uh, are you using the wrong backfill? In what ways are you um, rushing the cure? You know, what are some things that you can do to tighten that up and to make sure that your foundation is what it needs to be? Because we know this. We know that in this world we will have trouble. We can take heart because he has overcome the world, but he's also given us wisdom from his word to make sure that our foundations are secure so that we will bend but not break, so that we will experience crushing but not be destroyed, so that we will need to lean on him, but we'll definitely find him there. So think about the things that you're using in your church. What might you need to do to shore that up some? Um, And I want to just take the last little bit of this to share with you a little bit about our new foundations curriculum. Um, Because again, all of the principles that I shared about foundations and being strong, they can be applied and used with any curriculum. Obviously, I'm going to talk to you about ours because I do think it's the best thing out there right now. It is. Or one of them. I do think there are other (laughs) good ones. I do. I think there are some good ones, and I'd be happy to share that with you afterwards. But I also know there's a whole lot of scary ones. And they're nuanced in such a way that to to the untrained eye or to someone who's just casually looking, it seems like they're just really a great curriculum. But it's scary, the things that they're teaching. And so... Please know that the evil one is lurking about and seeking whom he may devour, even our littlest ones, through pretty little Sunday school pictures because of the way that it's being presented. So be be vigilant. Um, One of my favorite things about D6 Everyday Foundations, and I've got just a couple of these samples with me, but you can get a whole box of it um, at the booth for free um, to take with you. Um, But some of the highlights that we've included this time is we're going to focus on some character studies. And while some people think, oh, that we can sit down, you're just, it's just going to be a character study curriculum. It's not just that. We're sprinkling that in from time to time because here's the deal. Especially teens and children, but often adults, and they may not admit it, some of them don't realize that Noah was a real man. Historically, Noah lived and died. This is not just a story. This is not a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of thing. These are real people who lived real lives, who had real struggles, and they, they lived through it, and they gave us great examples of what to do and sometimes what not to do. And so we can learn a lot from those characters because some of those same principles, we're not going to deal with a flood. 
God's promised that already. So every time we see the rainbow, we know we're not going to deal with the flood, and that's great. So you, some people could say, well, then I have nothing to learn from Noah because I'm never going to have to build an ark. No, but let me ask you this. Are you going to have to obey God when it doesn't make sense? Because that's what Noah had to do. Noah had to obey God when it made no sense at all to him. What in the world? Okay, God, I'll do it. And he did. And because he did, his family was saved. So we can learn a lot from these characters. So obviously we can't hit every one of them, but we have chosen some key, key characters. And throughout the scope and sequence, we're going to focus on them. Another thing that we're focusing on is some cultural issues and some apologetics kinds of things. Our kids and our adults are dealing with more things in our culture today than we did even five years ago. Questions that come up, how do I answer my neighbor when they say this? What do I do with the fact that my son has a friend at school who was born a boy and wants to be called Sally now? These things our, our kids are dealing with. And we can run and hide and pretend we don't want to talk about those things because it's uncomfortable and we don't know what to say. Or we can teach our people how to respond biblically, how to show love without offering approval for that lifestyle or that choice. We can show a biblical response. And so we're going to tackle some of those things. We're going to tackle things like gambling, like abortion, um, some of those things that we shy away from sometimes and that maybe can't be a pulpit topic as easily as it could be a small group study topic and just what does the Bible say about this and how can we respond and what can we do about it um, biblical literacy is something that we're really focusing on I can remember as a child in Sunday school part of our Sunday school lesson all the time was learning to recite the books of the Bible knowing how to find them being the first one to get to Isaiah when the teacher said that um, and those kinds of things. And we've gotten away from that as a church culture in a lot of ways. We do it for competition. We practice for competition. But life is what we should be practicing for. We should be teaching our kids how to navigate God's word. What does it mean when we say the Pentateuch? What does it mean when we say the books of the law or the historical books in the Bible? What are the poetic books in the Bible? And so we're looking at ways um, to incorporate what we're calling building blocks into every lesson and highlight these are some things that every Christian needs to know and we don't want to take for granted anymore that you do so we're going to just kind of incorporate that in and, and talk about that uh, we're also providing a family verse of the month we've always had memory verses if you will for the children um, and sometimes the teens will focus on a certain verse why are we not challenging adults to learn and memorize God's Word? It doesn't make any sense, but yet we've gotten away from that because, you know, it's not cool for the adults to do. Well, you know what? We don't care if it's cool anymore. <laughs> We're providing a family memory verse to encourage families to learn together some of God's Word. And these are key scriptures. Now, how do you narrow down? We do it for a, a month. We've got 12 months a year. For a three-year scope and sequence, that's 36. We've got 36 passages we can narrow that down to. Let me tell you, we have some strong discussions around our editorial table because so-and-so wants to make sure we learn this verse and so-and-so wants to make sure we learn this verse. And it's hard to narrow down. It's like asking grandparents, which is the favorite grandchild? You can't do that, you know? And so we chose ones that we felt led by God to choose. We really pray over it. And so for this scope and sequence, these are the 36 passages we've chosen. But when we do it again, we'll choose different ones probably. But the idea is to encourage families to dig into God's Word together 
to learn together. And that's another foundation of discipleship. We've got to resource, encourage, and empower moms and dads to do some things at home. It's intimidating to them. They don't know what to do. They think they have to have a Bible degree to do it. And they just, if I don't know what to do, I do nothing, oftentimes, is what, what we hear. And so we're trying to put into practice and put into place some easy things for families to do. And I don't mean easy in that it's just light doesn't matter kinds of things, but doable things. Families are scheduled to death today. There's travel ball schedules all the time and choir practices and even church stuff. We've got programming after programming. And so if we're not careful, we make it a chore rather than part of an everyday life. And so we're trying to incorporate some, some verbiage and some ideas to make it just part of your family's way of doing things. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and Love your neighbor. Well, not, that's not in Deuteronomy. But, uh, and teach your children to do these things. Talk about this when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. I often say that I think if it was written in today's language, it would be when you're in the grocery store line together, when you're walking the dog together, when you're on your way to school and you see the beautiful fall colors changing on the leaves. Take advantage of those teachable moments. And so that's what we're trying to do is to introduce and encourage families to just capture everyday moments and things that they're already doing. You're already noticing that those colors have changed most of the time. Look guys, the, the leaves are starting to change. One step further says, isn't it great that God is so creative that he gives us additional colors? What if God only made everything green? It doesn't take much to turn it into a spiritual conversation with your kids. And it doesn't have to be some Everybody sitting in front of the fireplace with snow falling out the window, or you know, when you look out the windows with Grandma's Bible. It doesn't have to be that kind of a Norman Rockwell scene. It can be we're walking the dog together and we see a beautiful flower trying to peek up between the cracks of the concrete that wasn't poured correctly. Um, so we can, we can capture those moments, and that's discipleship. We make it harder than it needs to be. We think it has to be some formal, official thing. And there's nothing wrong with formal discipleship gatherings where we have intentional teaching together as a group. But it's those one-on-one -on -one things that I think Jesus highlighted so much in the Word, where he found some men who were already fishing and started talking to them about fishing and said, hey, come with me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Cast your net on the other side. He used their language, he just spent time with them and spoke to them in a way that made them feel heard, made them feel seen and they were open to what he had to say. And obviously they were open because the gospel is so amazing and so the Lord already is worth listening to, but we've got to look for those easy wins, if you will, those natural things that we're letting just fall by the wayside. So in your church setting, say from the pulpit, hey moms and dads, talk to your kids about this this week. They're, they're downstairs learning X, Y, or Z. Go ahead and make that part of your natural conversations at church. Look for ways to encourage families to talk to one another. Send a text throughout the week. It's an easy thing to do. So another thing that we're doing is we have combined the teaching guides for some of the age groups. So for example, in the adults, we have one adult teaching guide, but you can get three adult devotional study magazines with it now. 
You can get the Brink, you can get Fusion Family, and you can get Fusion Next. But we were spending a lot of resources to have different teaching guides that were really very similar. And we realized the teaching guides aren't what need to be so age appropriate and age geared as the devotional study guides do. But even on the children's level, where we have one elementary teaching guide, we have two elementary devotional study guides, but in that teaching guide, we're going to say to you, if you have younger students, here's an activity that's going to work better with them. If you have older students, here's one that's going to work better for them. So the same benefits of the two age-graded elementary teaching guides is still there. It's just packaged in one book. We're just trying to streamline because we've got churches of all different sizes. And so we want to help you be good stewards of your money. And so if you're a smaller church that's trying to buy these multiple things when you have your elementary kids combined anyway, we're trying to make it where you can do that a little bit more responsibly and be able to put your money in other ways in your discipleship programming. And then one of the other things that I want to highlight is that the teen and adult essentials are now provided digitally. So we're not printing all of those things because we realize that the teen and adult essentials are used differently across the board in all kinds of settings. Some people use them, some people don't. Some people like the posters, but some people only like the handouts. And so it just helps you um, print off and use only the pieces that you're wanting to use. Um, so those are some of the highlights of some of the changes that we've made. And then the big one that you've probably heard about is that we're moving from a 13-week quarter to a two-month block. And that can be confusing at first. And believe me, in the production cycle, we had to do like a quick change in our minds about how to even work that production schedule going from a 13-week to an eight or nine-week. Um, but we've already seen so many benefits. And my favorite benefit of that uh, has to do with the quicker turnover. So how many of you get a magazine that you really love? Maybe you love golf and you get Golf Digest, or maybe you look forward to your Christianity Today or your One Magazine or whatever that you get. We all love getting mail, and we kind of get excited when that comes. Well, this our devotional study guides, the newness of a Sunday school class or a small group is going to happen more often now. So instead of four times a year, it's going to be six times a year. So there's that renewed excitement or interest level with, oh, I get a new devotional study guide already. This is awesome. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I am a perfectionist myself in a lot of ways, and I hold myself to, to stronger um, uh, rules than maybe I would someone else. So if I start a devotional study guide and I get through the first four weeks, and then I fall off and don't do it, I feel defeated, and I don't want to pick it back up at all until the next new one comes, because I want to win. I want to do it all. Well, the beauty of this is you get a new one sooner, plus they're shorter, so it's easier for someone to stick with it, and if they didn't stick with it this time, they get to start fresh again sooner. The other thing is, and this is interesting from a school point of view, we often start new things in September, because that's when the school year starts, but then also people have a mindset of new in January. Well, in the past, our quarter for the winter went December, January, February. So we kind of turned the corner of the year in one quarter, and it made it awkward. So if you wanted to start a new uh, discipleship program or initiative in your church in January, you were kind of doing it in the middle of a quarter. Um, and this new block system allows you a fresh start in January. So we'll do September and October, 
November, December, January, February, March, April, and so forth. The other beauty of that for the summer is if someone takes off for the summer and decides, you know, we're going to do something different, it's only two months, <coughs> not three, that we're going to be interrupting the poor, so to speak. Um, and I like the way that that works out. In our editorial department, we had to give names to them because we used to say, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall. It was just easy to talk about what we're doing. So we have so, which is September, October. Ned is November, December. Jeff is January, February. So we all talk that way. And other people in the building haven't picked up on it yet. And they're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And we have fun with it because we like to mess with people sometimes. Um, we have to do that because we're stuck in count, uh, schedules all the time, so we have to have fun somehow. Um, but that's the, the basic of some of the new highlights, but we're still family aligned. We're still going to make sure that the third grader and his grandma or grandpa who are in the same church are studying some of the same family themes and can talk about it together. We're still making sure that the preschool units correlate with some of the ones that are happening inside of the same month than the other ones are having. Um, we're doing the same thing with elements that we've always done. The main thing is we're focused on intentional strength of your discipleship foundation in your church. And if you choose to use D6 foundations, you're gonna find a whole lot of things that are intentionally in place to help you win as a champion of disciples in your church. Not win for your own sake, your own glory, but when in that you know that you are encouraging the people in your church to do what God's Word says and to make disciples of themselves but also in their homes. 